Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome, as always, to First Move this Wednesday. We are following a number of major developing stories for you this hour, including... The mass shooting in the U.S. state of Virginia. Police are saying the gunman who opened fire inside a Walmart stall last night was an employee. The attacker killed six people and injured four others. We are live on the scene with the latest. Plus, two explosions in Jerusalem today have left at least one person dead and more than 10 injured. Police are still searching for suspects there. And in China, hundreds of angry workers have clashed with police at a Foxconn factory in Zhangzhou. Social media videos show some of them complaining about their pay and their working conditions. Foxconn runs the world's largest iPhone assembly site, which has been locked down since mid-October. Selena Wang joins us now. Selena, you and I have talked about this site a number of times. We know the challenges that they've faced with running this closed-loop system to try and stem the amount of COVID cases they have. What do you see as the catalyst and what are you hearing for this latest outburst of of frustration, of anger, clearly? Yeah, exactly, Julie. I mean, what we're seeing here is anger and tensions blowing over because really this has been a problem now for weeks. Earlier, we had talked about viral videos showing these workers streaming out of the factory, escaping, walking miles to try and get away from these COVID restrictions. Now we are seeing workers streaming out of their factory dorms to protest and clashing with the police. Many of the law enforcement in those videos you can see are wearing white hazmat suit. It appears that some of those clashes are turning violent with You can see jostling and pushing around with these big crowds. Now, that footage you see there, which has now been censored from Chinese social media, and also, Julia, I will mention, I've got a TV screen here in China right in front of me. This conversation, this report is also being censored. It shows that footage, shows some of the protesters complaining not only about their pay, but also poor sanitary living conditions. Before this, in this mid-October outbreak, we had also heard workers complaining about subpar food and living conditions. And again, that viral video showing those workers fleeing. But this is a critical time period right now for Apple, and Foxconn desperately needs more workers, especially ahead of this critical holiday season. So after that mid-October outbreak, after that viral video of workers fleeing, Foxconn said it would be giving a one-time bonus equivalent to 69 U.S. dollars if workers who left chose to return. It also said it would offer new workers or salary of four U.S. dollars per hour. But just last week as well, in a positive turn, Foxconn said more than 100,000 people signed up for its massive recruitment drive. But then in this footage, Julia, workers are heard saying that Foxconn failed to keep their promise of a better bonus and pay package after they arrived to work at the plant, accusing Foxconn of changing the salary packages. Workers in the videos are also saying that those who tested positive for COVID were not being separated from the rest of the workforce. So there's also fear of COVID spreading. Now, in a statement in English, Foxconn 
Garland denied all of those allegations and said the dorms that factory workers live in undergo standard procedures for disinfection. And we've talked about this before, of how it's been a big blow to Apple, the company warning earlier this month that shipments of its latest products will be delayed because of these COVID restrictions. It's also another reminder of the risks Apple faces in relying so much on China for production. This country is still suck, stuck in this unpredictable cycle of lockdowns, completely upending people's lives, the economy and global business, Julia. Yeah, Selena, I mean, you make a good point about Apple, but I, quite frankly, it's it's not the people who are going to be delayed in getting their iPhone uh, their iPhones this this Christmas or, or beyond. It's that the workers, as you've said, and have illustrated so incredibly well in your reporting, the fears of catching COVID, the fear of being a pariah, the fear that they're stuck in this for, for how low, how, you know, goodness knows how long. Um, yeah, very challenging. Selena Wang, thank you so much for that. Okay, let's get to Jerusalem now, where one person has died and more than 10 people have been injured after twin bombings in the city. Hadass Gold is live there with all the latest details. Hadass, it looks like we're calling it twins, so coordinated bombings and, and also targeting civilians in this case. What more do we know? Yeah. Yeah, Julie, I'm at the scene of the first of these twin bombings. This was at a bus stop uh, along probably the busiest artery in and out of Jerusalem. The first attack, the first bomb took place just after 7 a.m. at this location. You can see people gathered behind me. People have been coming here after police cleared the scene. They've been coming here to view the damage, to pray, to uh, to, to just come and see what happened here because the debris field from this first bombing is so extensive that out, out into the highway just behind us here, it extends at least three lanes into the highway there. So the first explosion took place here just after 7 a.m. And then 30 minutes later, another explosion just down the hill from us, not very far away, also took place. Police believe that in both instances, it was a bag or package of some kind that was placed at these bus stops, uh, and then it was detonated, they believe, remotely. This indicates organization and a sophistication of the time that police say they have not seen in years. Now, one person was killed in the bombing that happened at this location. He was identified as a 16-year-old Canadian-Israeli student and at least 14 others were injured across the two locations. This though was the most dangerous, the most uh, the most deadly, uh, most violent of those attacks. Now this attack, like I've said, they have not seen this type of bombing in several years and it's bringing back for many people memories of the second intifada where explosions were seemed to be a regular occurrence on buses, at bus stations, at restaurants and the like. This is obviously very alarming for Israeli authorities and they still have not identified a suspect and no militant group has actually taken responsibility for the attack. Now, while this has been a violent and deadly year for both Israelis and Palestinians, in fact, it's been the deadliest for both sides that they have seen in many years, this attack today, it's a new escalation in the situation. And so many people have been so fearful that something could turn this into a, get a possible third intifada. And this attack today is one of the first times where for so many people, they are really starting to get flashbacks of the early 2000s of the second intifada. And you can now hear behind me, young people have come together. They're starting to sing. They're starting to, to add prayers. They're starting to just come see the scene. Now, Israeli Prime Minister Yair Lapid has held a security assessment, and he did release a statement in the last uh, hour or so saying that this event is different from what we have seen in recent years, saying an extensive intelligence effort is now underway that he says will lead us to find these heinous terrorists, those behind them, and those who provided them with weapons. Julia. And we'll continue to follow this story. Hadas Gold in Jerusalem for us there. Thank you for that. 
To Ukraine now, where officials are reporting a new wave of Russian missile attacks across the country. The mayor of Kyiv says an energy facility has been hit and he's urging residents to stay in shelters. In the Zaporizhia region, authorities say Russian missiles hit a maternity ward and a newborn baby was among the victims. It comes as European lawmakers declare Russia a state sponsor of terrorism for its attacks on civilian targets. And in the meantime, gas prices are rising once again after Russia said it will reduce flows of its last natural gas pipeline to Europe, which runs through Ukraine. The energy giant Gazprom says it will cut supplies from next Monday. Anna Stewart joins us on this now with all the details. Anna, as I mentioned, this is the only remaining pipeline, I believe, that connects Russia and Russian gas to Europe. But I've got two questions before you give us the details. Um, how much gas is still being fed from Russia to Europe? via this pipeline compared with what it was before um, before the invasion began. And Moldova is, of course, crucial to this story. How much of that is going to Moldova, mm. Moldova specifically? So before the war in Ukraine, I'd say this is a pipeline that didn't receive a huge amount of attention. It accounted last year, based on the total Russian gas that was exported to Europe, around 11%. And of that, when we look at Moldova, 5.7 million cubic meters a day goes to Moldova. That's around 13 percent of the gas that transits through that pipeline. So we're looking at pretty small numbers in terms of Moldova and particularly small numbers in terms of what Gazprom is saying here, which is essentially it's going to reduce the gas transiting through that pipeline by the amount it's accusing Ukraine of siphoning off from Moldova, something Ukraine, of course, denies. It is a small amount. But of course, the issue at this stage is when we've had announcements from Gazprom before, particularly when it comes to disruption or reducing supply in any way, it often starts very, very small. We've seen this with Nord Stream 1. And before you know it, you've got no gas transiting through the pipeline at all. So I think that is the concern. That is certainly why we're seeing a much bigger gas price reaction than you might imagine, given the amount we're talking about at this stage. Uh, and Gazprom saying this would be implemented from Monday. And this is always the key. It's the thin end of the wedge when we're having these discussions, it feels, if past history is anything to go by. So explain that sort of market reaction that we're seeing. And I guess it also plays into the fears that for all the storage capacity now that, that Europe's built for over the winter, the perception is it's still not enough. Yes, in terms of the gas storage facilities, Europe's done really well. We often mm. talk about this is quite a good news story at this stage and why we've seen gas prices actually decline in recent months. If you compare it to August, uh, we're in a much better position. Gas storage facilities, 95% full. Also, the EU has struck new deals with all sorts of LNG suppliers around the world. Again, that is a good news story. The issue, Julia, is infrastructure and the fact that gas storage facilities are nearly full and that actually in terms of LNG terminals, where ships can come in, regasification facilities, they can't actually accept much more. And at this stage, there is an expectation that, of course, the EU will still need more gas than it has stored, and it would still rely somewhat on the gas it was receiving from Russia. And that is why we see that price reaction. And I think why there is so much importance being placed this week on a meeting of energy ministers from the EU in terms of what to do next in a price cap. The price we're paying in Europe for gas have nothing to do with actual prices of gas worldwide. And actually, I think <clears throat> this logic should be challenged at, 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 at every possible step. I think we should start introducing a gas price cap, allowing additional cargoes that wouldn't be coming if this cap is strictly enforced, and seeing how many of them actually are actually going above the cap. I am concerned about the fact that we don't even try to do that.
And I think it is a mistake at European level that this price cap is not enforced, has not been enforced before and is not enforced right away because we're just losing time. It will eventually have to kick in. You can hear the frustration there from the CEO of Enel. You've got many members of the EU, actually the majority, I'd say, including France, Spain and Italy, all supporting a price cap. However, I suspect what's going to be announced tomorrow by the EU Commission, and we know what they're trying to propose here, is what I would call the price cap light version. It may not go nearly far enough for many of the countries to support in terms of the price cap. And, Julia, we've had countries, including Germany and the Netherlands, saying they don't really support a price cap at all because main reason that it doesn't really reduce demand. And that's a very painful but very effective tool in this gas crisis. And also that it could impact how you get gas from suppliers elsewhere uh, on the market. So there's still a huge division here. I thought it was very interesting in a note from Bruegel this week that they point out that actually the division in some ways mirrors the division we see a lot in the EU um, with the sort of frugal north and the less frugal south, although the east seem to be joining onto that. What we're going to see tomorrow, possibly the price cap light version from the EU. From the analysts I speak to, that won't go nearly far enough in terms of limiting volatility on the gas price markets. Yeah, the, the crucial point that you mentioned is that suppression of demand. And actually, we're seeing a, an astonishing amount of that and people being more frugal with their, their energy use and incredibly careful. Um, mm. But yes, it doesn't stop them trying, I guess. Anna Stewart, thank you so much for that. OK, now on to a developing story in the state of Virginia. Police say six people have lost their lives after a gunman opened fire inside a Walmart store. Four others were injured. Police say the gunman, who hasn't yet been named, was a Walmart employee and was found dead at the scene from what is believed to be a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Police say it could take days to process the scene of the incident. And CNN's Brian Todd joins us now. Brian, as I mentioned, uh, the suspect here has not yet been named. Do we have any sense of the ongoing investigation, I'm sure, into him and a, a potential motive in this tragedy? Well, Julia, that is what police are working through this morning. What was the motive? They are not giving the identification of the shooter because his next of kin have not been notified, but they have been able to fill in a couple of gaps of information that we were looking for uh, earlier this morning and in the overnight hours. As you mentioned, six victims are dead. The shooter is dead. So that's seven total dead. Uh, at least four people were wounded and are being treated at local hospitals. Their condition is unknown at this time. What the uh, police chief was able to do, his name is Mark Seleski, the police chief of Chesapeake. He was able to give us a timeline of just when the attack unfolded and how quickly officers got to the scene. The first 911 calls came in at 10:12 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday evening. Officers arrived two minutes later at 10:14 p.m. They entered the building at 10:16 p.m. So between the first calls to police and the time that officers entered the building, a total of four minutes. They uh, rendered the scene safe at 11:20 p.m. Eastern time. And again, six victims dead. The shooter dead. Um, the shooter's name not being given, but they did tell us that the shooter is an employee of the store. CNN found out uh, from a law enforcement source that this employee walked into a break room where people were gathered and opened fire and then later uh, turned the gun on himself. Uh, our affiliate WTKR spoke to the sister of a victim who survived the attack. Here's what she had to say. He went in at 10 p.m. tonight and we received a phone call. Well, his wife received a phone call We um, about 10.18 saying that he had been shot. He clocks in at 10, so he hadn't even been there 10 minutes. 
And again, at least four people are in local hospitals being treated, their condition unknown at this time. Police, again, not uh, able to establish a clear motive for this attack. We asked them several times at this news conference a short time ago uh, whether there were any conflicts uh, at the store leading up to this. They were not able to answer that question. We did ask them about weapons. Uh, they believe that uh, the shooter used a pistol, and they do not believe he used any other weapons. Julia? Brian Todd, thank you so much for that. And uh, any further developments, we will bring them to our viewers as we get them. Thank you for your report. We're back after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. It's the busiest day of the year for travel, at least here in the United States, as more than 50 million Americans head off for their Thanksgiving holidays. 48,000 flights, in fact, are scheduled today. And the low-cost carrier Frontier, which flies to 85 domestic locations and 16 international destinations, is also trying to differentiate itself from its rivals with an all-you-can-fly pass. Yes, you heard me. There are some caveats, let's be clear. But in a nutshell, for $799, you can book a flight the day before travel for domestic routes and 10 days in advance for international travel. Unlimited flights are included, each for the cost of one cent, plus taxes, fees and charges. And there are so-called blackout days, which include certain holidays. And I should mention that the price of the pass jumps to nearly $2,000 in the second year. Much to discuss. Barry Buffel is the CEO of Frontier Airlines and he joins us now. Barry, fantastic to have you with us. We'll talk about the Go Wild, I believe it's called pass, in a second. But first, I know you're anticipating a busy month for travel. Just set the scene for us, what you're seeing and how it compares even just to this time last year. Sure. Well, thanks for having us on. And uh, we're really excited to, to carry, you know, folks to see their friends and, and, and their loved ones. And uh, there's going to be more people traveling this season than ever. And I think a lot of that is due to the work from home kind of creating more flexibility, which enables it to be less peakish. So, you know, prior uh, in prior years, you know, Wednesday before and Sunday after were the peak days. And now we're seeing the outbound last almost a week in advance and, and, the, and the returns uh, as well. So it's kind of it's enabling more people to travel during the holiday season. So lots of folks traveling. Which is a good sign. Year on year comparisons, though, I think in anything, uh, particularly in the travel sector, are a tough thing. But can you compare prices this year to last year? We've talked nonstop about inflation and, and the rising input costs for, for all businesses, I think, this year. What's it meant for, for the tickets for you guys? Everybody's seen their electricity. They've seen their, their yeah. gas at the pump go up in price. And so we have to pass on those those costs for energy as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, Frontier's done a great job of, of making sure that we still have the lowest fares in the market. And so people can still save. But overall, the industry is higher and they have to pass on those costs. The good news, though, that we're seeing is that the incomes are higher as well. And when we look at what incomes have done relative to our fares, we're finding that more people find our fares more affordable to travel uh, than prior to the pandemic. Yeah, that's an interesting point. The, the relative measure here is, is vital. Just if you can give me a ballpark on average, how much have prices gone up? Well, I think across the industry, it's, you know, it's in the 10 to 20 percent range. Mm. Yeah, but you're saying less for you or about the same? No, our, ours, are, ours are up in the, in the 20 percent range yeah. uh, as well. Uh, but uh, fortunately, um, we're passing on most of the, the savings in the form of low fares. And so we've increased our ancillary products. We've done a better job selling you know, options and so forth. Uh, and so that way people can still save money if they want to choose uh, you know, less options. 
You know, it's fascinating. I've been looking at all the comments that you've made in recent weeks. And one of the things that really leapt out to me was you saying that in recent weeks, a third of your customers are traveling on Frontier and they're doing so five or more times a year. And actually, that's double what they were doing before the pandemic. And, and perhaps they're not just traveling with you, they're traveling with others too. I mean, Americans don't get that much holiday, let's be clear. So that says something really interesting about perhaps a new work environment, a new sense of people and their desire to travel. Barry, what can you tell me about that? And do you believe it's sustainable, that kind of increase well, so, in travel? Yeah, there is an explosion in leisure demand in the United States. And I think there's always been the desire but not necessarily the time off, you know, compared to Europe as an example, in terms of days off. And so the flexibility is giving that, you know, kind of kind of room to run, if you will. And so that's why we're seeing such an increase. And so, you know, I think this is probably not going to change as long as work from home remains. And I think there's too many people that have gotten a taste of this. And I think you're going to continue to see this for a lot of your professional uh, jobs. And so especially when they get addicted to travel, I think uh, it's going to be tough to get them back in the office full time. <laughs> no comment. Um, let's talk about the Go Wild Pass, because I do, I love these things, but I often look at them in terms of um, a business decision as perhaps a gimmick, and then you end up with more of a PR headache because you get far more complaints afterwards that people can't travel or there were no seats available or da 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 da, da. Talk to me about how this is going to work and how confident are you that this is going to be ultimately a PR win rather than anything else? So we think this is a win-win for, for, for our customers as well as Frontier, because if you look over the last year, we had over 5 million seats go empty, and we project that we'll have a similar number over the next 12 months. And this gives customers access to those seats. So as you, you, you said earlier, um, if the seats are available domestically the day before, and if they're available international 10 days before, uh, you can have access to those seats. It's available over 300 days uh, a year. Uh, there are some holidays that are blacked out. But I'll point you to the third quarter, you know, we had an 83% load factor. And if you look at that, on average, we had still 30 empty seats uh, per aircraft. Uh, so there's a lot of availability. And so I wouldn't t say this is a gimmick. If you're someone that thinks that they could travel at least once a month, this is a fantastic deal for you. And if you travel more than once a month, this is a no-brainer. And if you have the flexibility to book the flight the day before, you're saying on average 30 seats available for per flight up for grabs that day before. So actually, the chances are, if you can do that and are willing to do that, you'll, you'll find a seat. Absolutely. So if you're an active retiree or someone who is working from home that can work from anywhere, this is a fantastic deal. And I think if you look at the international, you know, you just fly this once or twice in, in, in certain routes and this paid for it. It's interesting as well, I think, that the broader space and it comes down to the challenges, I think, of the last few years and particularly what we saw with COVID. Um, you obviously um, missed out, let's call it that, on the Spirit Jet Blue consolidation that we've seen in the sector. I, I know you've been quite sort of upfront and I just wanted to get your views on sort of future organic versus inorganic growth and whether you see other opportunities because you've said you still plan to double your size in four years and be three times the size by the end of the decade. Um, even if we go into an economic slowdown, Barry, do you think it, the sort of low price or lower price ticket segment cushions you even in an economic slowdown? You can still achieve that kind of growth? Well, look, there's probably not a scenario where you have a major economic slowdown and you don't see the price of fuel come down, which is our largest expense. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you also look at the fact that we have the lowest cost. We're best positioned uh, to exploit this leisure demand explosion that we've been talking about. And I think if you look in the United States, especially, we have constrained demand. There's constrained air, air, 
aircraft capacity, there's constrained pilot supply. And so, you know, I think this is going to be a little bit different. I mean, more than likely, at least the leisure domestic United States and the near international is likely to sidestep any recession as long as it's not a major a major um, uh, economic impact because just because there's more people traveling uh, from a leisure perspective and we have constrained supply. So it will take a pretty big impact to the overall economy uh, to, to put a dent in, in air travel, given what we're seeing. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Very quickly on the on the fuel price contracts, though, how long are those contracts that you tend to sign? How quickly can you benefit if, if fuel prices come down? So so we do not currently hedge. So if as soon as the price comes down, mm-hmm. we can benefit immediately. Um, so, so we would expect if there is a major downturn that those prices would come down. But, you know, going back to your other question about the uh, JetBlue Spirit deal, um, we think organic growth is going to be fine because with them merging, you know, you'll have over 95 percent of capacity that has 40 percent or higher cost than us. So I think you're in a situation where Frontier really has no natural competitor. And from a consumer perspective, if you're looking for low fares, that's going to mean you're going to want to go to flyfrontier.com in the United States. So we think we're really positioned well. So that deal was nice to have, but not necessary, in your view? Well, it was nice to have. I mean, we wanted to be the premier ULCC in the United States. This is just a different path to getting there. Yep. Well, we'll watch this space. Good luck with the pass as well. I'm interested to see um, how well it works. Barry, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for joining us on the show. Barry before there, the CEO of Frontier Airlines. Great to chat to you, sir. Thank you. Now, while we're talking aviation, take a look at this dramatic video. It shows what happens when a jet suffers a bird strike. Wowzers, this US military plane was forced to return to Chicago's Midway Airport. The head of the National Guard, in fact, was on board. Officials say the Air Force C-37 landed safely and without incident. Okay, coming up on First Move, football fever afoot. One of the world's most famous clubs could be up for sale. Pretty price tag, though. That's next. Welcome back to First Move, and it's the last full day of stock market trading on Wall Street this week, ahead of tomorrow's Thanksgiving Day holiday. A pretty unchanged start to the session, but of course the day is young. The bulls are barely biting as they look forward to the big feast. Subdued trading today, but still stocks near two-month highs after a broad-braced rally on Tuesday that saw all the major averages rising more than 1%. And in the meantime, developing news in the financial sector too today. Credit Suisse warning of yet another massive loss. More than $1.5 billion in the fourth quarter now expected. The bank launching yet another corporate restructuring to shore up its finances, saying wealth management customers have been pulling billions from their accounts as questions over the health of the bank mount. And meanwhile, shares of Manchester United are opening higher once again after finishing up nearly 15% on Tuesday. The owners of the iconic club saying they're kicking around the possibility of selling. Amanda Davies joins me now. They didn't actually say that. They're just ruminating a number of uh, possibilities. But wow, Amanda, it's been a tumultuous time. We had that Cristiano Ronaldo interview, his exit, and now this. I think the fans and investors, though, pretty happy. Yeah, I mean, you could say what a few weeks, you could say what a few years, really, uh, in terms of (laughs) Manchester United. But the Glazers, the phrase they used, uh, they are looking at options as to what to do next with Manchester United. But yeah, after 17 years in charge, potentially the club could be up for sale. And what a prospect that is, both Liverpool and Manchester United, two of the most storied, historic football clubs, not only in England, but in
in the world, potentially both up for sale at the same time. You wonder if there's anybody in these parts who might be interested uh, in owning a, a Premier League football club. But that news coming hot off the heels that United terminated the contract of Cristiano Ronaldo. And it's really, really quite a sad end for one of United's most successful legendary footballers, a player who was included in a, a famous Adidas advert just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, detailing the number sevens that have graced the pitch at Old Trafford in the same breath as Eric Cantona, David Beckham, Brian Robson. Cristiano Ronaldo is up there, but after he took part in that explosive interview with Piers Morgan, there really was only one end to this story. The problem is, you know, it's not the way Manchester United do their business. They don't like airing their dirty laundry in public. And of course, it means there's even more focus on what is happening at the Portugal camp here ahead of them kicking off their World Cup campaign tomorrow against Ghana. Every press conference this week, whether it's the players or the manager, Fernando Santos, they have been stormed with questions about what it means for the camp. What is the disruption like in the camp? Are people distracted by what is going on with Cristiano? There was that somewhat awkward handshake you might remember with his uh, now former Manchester United teammate Bruno Fernandes. The word though officially is they're not even talking about it. It's had no impact. But that may be the case within the Portugal camp. But the thing for Cristiano Ronaldo, he's always said he wants to be playing football. He still thinks he should be doing it at the top level. And as of now, he doesn't have a club to rejoin at the end of this World Cup. So you presume if it hasn't happened already, there are plenty of discussions going on behind the scenes. Um, and we wait to see what impact that will have on him when he takes to the pitch. Yeah, I had lots of questions for you, and you've answered a lot of them in there. But I did watch that video and that handshake with his former teammate, and he, at least to me, he looked sad. So I think that's a, a good way to describe it, in a way, a sad end for someone who's incredibly talented and, and what a relationship, too. Um, I want to uh, ask you, Amanda, about what's going on there, too. And I saw that the German team showing some degree of protest, at least, over FIFA's decision to ban those rainbow armbands, which I feel like we're all talking about on a constant basis now around this World Cup. What happened there? And do you think other teams follow suit? Yeah, Germany have been one of the most vocal and the most visibly upset, angry at FIFA's decision to stick to their guns, really, and punish any player that was going to wear the one love armband, which a lot of the European teams had said they wanted their captains to do to promote diversity and inclusion here, standing in Qatar as we are, where it is illegal to be gay. It's promoted so much anger from across the board, really. Human rights organisations, the likes of Amnesty International, football supporters associations. And when UEFA's working group uh, reacted to the news from FIFA, they said there is more to come. We didn't know what that would be. There was some suggestion that Manuel Neuer, Germany's captain, would still wear the, the One Love armband and take the yellow cards today. He didn't do that. Germany's interior minister instead wore the armband in 
that the royal box uh, essentially stood next to the FIFA president Gianni Infantino and at the same time Germany's players lined up for their team photo and in a really powerful image covered their mouths with their hands. They issued a statement via social media explaining it and they said this, we wanted to use our captain's armband to take a stand for values that we hold in the Germany national team, diversity and mutual respect. Together with other nations, we wanted our voice to be heard. It wasn't about making a political statement. Human rights are non-negotiable. That should be taken for granted, but it's still isn't the case. That's why this message is so important to us. Denying us the armband is the same as denying us a voice. We stand by our position. We wait to see if FIFA take any action uh, against them for that. And as you rightly say, Julia, we wait to see what other teams may do in terms of following suit. But I can tell you, I just heard a a bit of a cheer behind me. Uh, Germany were one up with uh, some, what, 7.15 minutes to go. But Japan have just equalised with 15 minutes to go. Germany, of course, (laughs) trying to make amends for the disappointment uh, when they went out in the group stage in 2018. They talked about the importance of getting off on the right foot, winning this opening game. But as things stand, being held by Japan, 15 minutes to go. Right. Amanda, amazing to have you with us. We're going to let you go now and you can go and watch exactly what's going on because I don't want you missing any other goals. And I think as far as Germany is concerned, elegantly done. Thank you for that. Amanda Davies there. Okay, still to come here on First Move. It's almost turkey time in America. The CEO of grocery chain Stu Leonard's joins us to talk turkey and how shoppers can gobble up some serious savings. That's after the break. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. What's known as Turkey Day is almost here for millions of families across America, but a host of factors from avian flu to bad weather has made some items on the Thanksgiving menu a lot more expensive this year. Turkey prices have jumped 24% since last year. If you want mashed potatoes, they will cost around 20% more. And some ingredients for your Thanksgiving pie are up between 23 and 75%. That's according to information resources. You can see that on the screen in front of you. Now, grocery train Stu Leonard says working with local vendors and farmers helps keep its prices low. But CEO Stu Leonard Jr. says there are some disruptions in the supply chain that they can't control either. And joining us now is Stu Leonard Jr. He's the president and CEO of Stu Leonard's Grocery Stores. Stu, happy Thanksgiving. Great to have you on the show. Thank you, Julie. I loved your saying there, but people are gobbling the turkeys up right now. Thank you. And I can see you're surrounded by turkeys as well behind you. So we'll talk about those in a second, too. But, you know, I always do that introduction talking about rising food prices because I know it prompts you to correct me because you tell me actually what's really going on in the store. So talk to me about rising prices and some of the challenges that you're facing. Well, you know what? First of all, we don't hear about the prices a lot from our customers. You know, um, our turkey price, we were 269 for a free-range turkey last year um, it, for fresh, and it's 299 this year. That's 10%. I don't think customers are going to get sticker shock. I heard you mentioned 20 30% on, on some things. We don't see that happening, you know, right on the store floor. We do see customers returning to 2019 shopping patterns again. So they're coming in, 
the Thanksgiving meal, Julia, is not expensive. You know, I've seen a lot of numbers out there, but it's like six to ten dollars per person. Um, that's not too bad when you think of what you pay when you go to a restaurant or even McDonald's. So, um, you know, customers want to get together with their families this year. They want to celebrate a great time of the year to to love each other and get together. And we're seeing that on the store floor right now for Thanksgiving. And we love that. Stu, what do you mean by going back to 2019 style? Do you mean just simply everybody getting together in the way that they would? Or you mean in terms of their buying behavior and what they're buying? Just explain that because that's interesting. Yeah. You know, I just talked to a few customers and they said we haven't gotten together with our family since 2018, 2019. Because obviously 20 and 21 have been racked with all sorts of flus and, and, and COVID. So... Right now, I feel like COVID's in our customers' rearview mirror, and they just want to get together again and rejoice and see their uncles, aunts, their, their brothers, sisters, and their family members. So we're, we're seeing a, a unity come together. Um, look, prices are up, and we've had our farmers. They've had increases in feed prices. You mentioned the avian flu, which put an impact on them. Um, you know, they have uh, transportation costs have gone up. Look at the price of fuel, both to put in their trucks that deliver to us and their tractors. So we're not being tough with our with our suppliers. Uh, a lot of them are family businesses or local. I'm not putting the arm on them, you know, and saying I'm not going to accept the price increase. I'm, 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 I'm not passing it all on to our customers, but I'm trying to be sensitive to people's pocketbooks and wallets out there. Yeah, and you mentioned a great point about buying local, I think, as well, which can help try and reduce some of those added costs that perhaps you don't realize you're paying, like transport costs, particularly when energy prices and things are so high. Um, I have seen you talk about something there that I do think is interesting for, for customers, not just for your store, but elsewhere in this. You talked about a kind of shark tank play when new suppliers want to come to a grocery store and they offer discount, they offer bulk goods. And this is something that consumers should be looking for wherever they are in the world, perhaps, and try and get those good deals when they're around. Yep. And and look, every supermarket you shop in has specials every week. They have app deals. You know, there's deals out there. But you know, if you really want to save money this Thanksgiving, I'll tell you how to do it. And I'd better make sure none of our Managers are listening right now, but don't I make it yourself? Okay, you mentioned the price of potatoes are two bucks a pound roughly right now. To get them made by our chefs with cream and butter, it's six bucks a pound. So if you put cream and butter and all that in, you might pay. It might cost you three dollars a pound at home. Why pay six bucks and have the store do it for you? Make it yourself. You'll save fifty percent. Boom! Right off the bat on your on your holiday uh, meal. Your managers don't mind you uh, saying this, Stu, because I know you pay them incredibly well. Um, yeah. What are you talking? What are you talking about? Um, giving food advice. I know you're a YouTube star as well because you've been you've been giving advice on how to cook a turkey. How how does one cook the proper the best turkey? Can you give me a very swift synopsis? Well, here's what I would recommend, Julia. Do not read the instructions on the back of the turkey. Because don't. It's don't never, read those. Okay. Don't read them. Because you know why? Everybody's oven temperature is different. People open their oven to face the turkey. So you never have a, the right temperature going on all the time. The key thing is have a great thermometer. 
And that's what you want to do and get that internal temperature up. That'll be written on the size of the package right there, 165. Cook by temperature. Um, I got one of these really cool modern thermometers. They're a little expensive, but it's called a meter. And uh, you stick it in there and it links to your cell phone. So you can sit around with your relatives and, you know, have a drink or whatever. And it'll start beeping when the temperature comes up to the proper one. So thermometer is the key, you know. And you know something fun? My daughter recommended this. I'm going to take a cheesecloth and soak it in butter. You know, Martha Stewart always says to put butter under the skin and everything uh, um, for turkey. But we're going to actually drape the turkey with with, uh, butter and see how that comes out tomorrow. I love trying (laughs) new things. I have this genius device called a cell phone, and I call my mom and dad and get their advice on how to do anything well, yeah, like yeah. this. So, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Don't even don't you even know, YouTube. That was a lovely kitchen, by know, the way. Mm. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have fun tomorrow. But you know what's gonna make me feel extra special? We just finished a big turkey brigade here at Stu Leonard's, and we gave away fifty thousand meals to the homeless and the needy. And we also gave our all our team members over 2,000 here free turkey for Thanksgiving. So um, it's going to make me feel extra special tomorrow to take a bite of turkey and know that, you know, at least we've just tried to do our part to help a lot of uh, the less fortunate out at this holiday right now. Thanks for doing that, Stu. Can I ask you quickly yeah. about hiring and jobs yeah. Into, yeah. into the holiday season as well? Talk to me about what about that, how challenging that still is or whether that's lessened and, and pay increases too, because I know that was a challenge well, this time last year. You know what? Everybody I've talked to, labor's a huge issue out there in the yeah. market. And here's what you got to do. You got to pay for it. Um, you know, we were always, you know, minimum wage was always $12, $13, $14 an hour. You know, it's 15 around New York area. It's going up to that, but we're paying up to $17 an hour just to get some seasonal help in here to help us with not only all of our turkey orders, we're, we're doing thousands of, of, uh, of catering orders today, uh, but also we got Christmas trees that just arrived and we're going to have to, we're going to have to sell about 70,000 of those. So we've had to hire uh, nearly 800 people at Stu Leonard's. We've had to pay a lot extra, but I have to look at labor today, not as an expense, but an investment. You know, we want to get the best people and, and um, take care of our customers. They want they want a, a, a smooth sailing at, at the holidays with nice people that, you know, can help them with, with their purchases. Yeah. Good service requires good people and good people require paying well. Stu, you know, thank you for joining us. Go on. Yeah. Last word. It's like our rock <laughs> out front. You know, we're not skimping on customer service either. Like our rock, you know, rule one, the customer's always right. Rule two, if the customer's ever wrong, reread rule number one. You know, <laughs> we, we want people leaving with a smile at us through Leonard's, uh, uh, this Thanksgiving especially. Happy Thanksgiving, Stu. You left me with a smile. Okay. So that's, that's one extra. You left me with a smile. I love talking to you. <laughs> Ditto. Thank, Thank you, Julia. Happy Bye. Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye. And good luck with the butter soaked okay. cheesecloth. Let us know. <laughs> okay, I'll let you know. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Okay, coming up here on First Move, assets either missing or stolen. Oh dear, new details on FTX's financial disarray. Next. 
and welcome back to First Move. A personal fiefdom of Sam Bankman-Fried. That's how FTX's bankruptcy lawyer described the failed crypto exchange. He also said a substantial amount of assets is missing, possibly stolen. Paula Monica joins us now. Uh, the chaos continues. Do we have any sense of the amount of money that we're talking about being missing? I believe FTX also has more than 130 affiliated companies. So it's actually not that easy to find, surely. Exactly, Julia. This is going to be a complicated, convoluted mess for the lawyers to unravel. As you pointed out, a personal fiefdom was the way that it's being alleged that this company was run by Sam Bankman-Fried. And there are lots of questions about just how much cash FTX really has and where it is. The new CEO had previously said that they were only able to find about 560 million or so. The company is claiming, though, that there's about 1.2 billion in cash on hand. So that's obviously a pretty large discrepancy. I think it's going to take a long time to just go through the various paper trails and see what money is there and what, if anything, customers might be able to get back as this very convoluted story continues to unravel. Yeah, because it was lawyers for FTX ahead of this hearing that was suggesting that they'd had or have $1.2 billion worth of cash. But it was the the uh, new CEO of FTX, uh, John J. Ray III, that we know from Enron days that was saying that all they'd managed to sort of come together with was around that $560 million figure. So there's still huge questions about that and whether or not there's proof. Something else that I spotted from this hearing, that they've been hit by cyber attacks in recent days, too, yeah, and that's that since the bankruptcy filing. Yeah, that's obviously very troublesome as well, Julia. The hope, of course, one of the promises of crypto is that your money is secure. It's all about the blockchain. There's always a trail. But as we know, there have been many instances in the Bitcoin ecosystem where hackers have been able to get in and infiltrate even the larger, supposedly more secure crypto giants. And as we now know, FTX, unfortunately, is a shell of its former self, not the unicorn worth over $30 billion, of course, anymore. It's a company that I think is really reeling. So it wouldn't be a huge surprise to learn that maybe they're, in addition to whatever else was going on under Sam Bankman-Fried, maybe the security issues and protocols were possibly lax as well. Yeah, I mean, we have no clue what actually was hit with these cyber attacks. Um, but when you've got those talking and now looking at this and saying there's a total lack of centralized cash control of, of any real form, then um, the concerns clearly mount. Paul, great to have you Very troublesome us. to put them Yeah, very. Paul and Monica, thank you so much for that. And that's it for the show. If you've missed any of our interviews today, they'll be on my Twitter and Instagram pages. Search for at CNN. Connect the World with Becky Anderson is up next and I'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night. Sleep Next Level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. 
Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.